It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Today, you're going to hear from Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja. Drew Goodman, who does play-by-play television for the Rockies. David Murphy, longtime player, now doing TV for the Rangers. And Ryan Roland-Smith, good friend of Liam Hendricks, now doing TV for the Seattle Mariners. But we'll start with Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja. Great follow on Twitter. But the big deal here is pitchers around baseball are going to him asking for help, including Jesus Lizardo and Jake Diekman. Here is the Pitching Ninja. Rob, it's great to have you back on the program. And just how psyched are you that we got baseball back? I could not be more excited. I mean, it's just, uh, it's amazing. You know, we have talked before about the KBO and what you're doing around the KBO. Uh, there was some crazy stuff. Some guys had some interesting stuff in the KBO, but it's nice to be back to looking at big league pitching. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you, the umpires were a trip in the KBO. I don't know if you saw any of that, but but they are creative with their punch outs and stuff out in uh, Korea. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I I like the swagger of the players, as you mentioned, the animated umpires. We, you know, we talked to a couple of guys over there, former A's, and they're they're telling the pitchers that they want them to be animated. It's just a different style of baseball, but everybody just seems to get it. Yeah, that's really funny because my first comment was the hitters were really animated, but the pitchers weren't. And I was like, "Come on, guys, you got to step up your game. I want to see some K struts and stuff." So, so far, it looks like, and especially from the numbers, when you're looking at Ks per game at a record high, batting average overall for teams at a record low. So it looks like, and tell me what you've been seeing, that the pitching is definitely ahead of the hitting. Yeah, I would say that. I've seen some, like, crazy nasty stuff this season so far, too. I mean, I think between analytics and and pitch design i think it's taking pitching to the next level and hitting's going to have to catch up i mean it's normally behind at this at early in the season i guess but it's it's crazy now you know it's just i think about back in the day when you were learning a new pitch it was all about feel and it was all about someone standing behind you and telling you what they saw it's so different now with all the different technology for, for a guy to realize, because it's so different for a hitter. A hitter can sit there and hit in a cage all day long. He can hit till his hands bleed. But a pitcher, you you only got so many throws in you a day. That's exactly right. You just hit on it. Because um, a lot of the old school guys will say, oh, well, we can tell with our eyes about, you know, this pitch moved and, you know, I don't need anybody to tell me. But you only have so many throws in a day and to get instant feedback 
from from actually analytics and know this pitch worked the way I wanted it to and this didn't, or I want to add this pitch to my arsenal. Uh, that's a big step, and uh, I think the old school guys don't kind of realize the uh, the the where we're at today. And totally we have agree. and we have so many players reaching out to you. Even our own Jake Diekman reach out to you recently. How many how many players do you get coming to you saying, "Hey, can you can you watch this? Can you analyze this? And can you help me?" I would say it's probably about uh, probably twenty. It would be my guess. Um, Diekman and Lazardo both have this season. I, I, Lazardo did it the other day about uh, Degrom's slider, which was kind of cool. But Diekman, yeah, that's 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 awesome. I love the help. I mean, it's so much fun. I want to send you my golf swing. Can you do anything with golf swings? Yeah, I wish I could because mine needs some help. <laughs> Jeez, that would be freaking awesome if I could do that. Yeah, Hell, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I can't even do it with my own pitching mechanics and stuff. But uh, I could help other people. Yeah, I thought during COVID my swing would and short game would get better, but uh, the more you play, uh, the worse you get in golf. That's unfortunate. <laughs> but the more you drink, the better you are, right? If if I don't have any swing fluid, <laughs> then the day is going to be ruined. Yeah, absolutely. When uh, Hazelus Lizardo, you know, he just went uh, yesterday for us, and it, it, you know, it's his first start. I think people kind of overhyped it a little bit because. You know, he pitched last year at the end of the year, and, of course, he pitched in the wild card game. He pitched in the playoffs. So they thought, like, is he going to be super nervous? But uh, I don't know if you got to see it. If you did, what did you think? All right. So he is a unusual character for his age. I mean, we actually interviewed him. Um, he did an interview for my flat ground site, and uh, he is so mature for his age. Actually, know what he can do, know what he can't do, add pitches, slow the game down is way, way far advanced. I mean, I loved watching him pitch. I didn't think he had his, like, to be honest, he's nastier than he even showed last night. And he still, the, the great part is he still was so good. Fastball was overpowering. His changeup was good. But his slider, I mean, I, I think he would say he struggled a little bit with it. And you don't normally see guys his size left-handed throw that hard. He's like Johan Santana, but throws a lot harder. When I think of short left-handers, I think of like a Billy Wagner. Normally you don't see a guy his size from the left side throwing that hard. Absolutely. I, I th he, he just has to be an extraordinary athlete, a lot of uh, quick twitch muscles, but you're right. I mean, he he's kind of a freak. And not only throws that hard, but the movement he gets and the command for his age um, he is, he is off the charts. I mean, I don't know what his upside is. It's, 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 uh, I asked him, so I said, what do you think your upside is? He wouldn't answer the question because I think he know he knows his ceiling is, is kind of as high as it can be. You know, my thing for him would be because the way he's been trained is he's not going to throw a lot of pitches. He goes all out every single start. Uh, going into last night, he's only had two minor league starts where he goes six. My only thing for him would be, how am I going to get you to where you can start 30, 32, 33, 34 times a year? How can I get you to go six or seven? And Because that's the thing for me. He's been babied so much in the minor leagues. At some point, maybe he doesn't need to always be full throttle so he can go longer in games. Yeah, I, I think that's going to come with time. This is an interesting season, though. I mean, he's only got that short runway this year. Everybody's got to hit the ground running. 
So, uh, I mean, I think he will, he will have to stretch out. I mean, that's just comes with age. I think that they don't want to overuse him too, because you see a lot of young guys break down when they're overused early. Um, I kind of like what the A's are doing with them, but you're right. I mean, the next step in development is knowing when to turn it on and uh, knowing when to go full throttle and when not. Uh, but he'll he'll get there. I mean, dude is is very very smart and very level headed, and I can see him being in the league for a long long time. Yeah, very mature for his age too, and I think people don't equate that with being very good. But there's something about competing at the highest level having a good head on your shoulder. Uh, I, I know you work with a lot of different guys, and, and if you lack maturity and you lack the the ability to make right decisions, you can be out of this league pretty quick. Yeah, you know who I compare him to maturity-wise is Mike Soroka of the Braves. Like, he's another guy that's way – I mean, unfortunately got injured, yeah. uh, which is terrible, but – a very mature guy for his age. And you see that in the pitching, like the, the, his ability to attack hitters um, and slow the game down versus overpowering everybody. Like young pitchers want to just show their stuff all the time. And just because a pitch is nasty, doesn't mean it works that well with what you're trying to do. Lozardo has a game plan and, and sticks to it. I mean, it looks really, really uh, good. And his maturity shows. You mentioned Soroka and the Achilles injury. I mean, for, 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 most people, that's like a year long, if not a little bit more than a year. I, I'm not asking you to play doctor, but do you know how that really affects a pitcher and his timeline of coming back? Because when you when, when you have that surgery, it's brutal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, unfortunately, it's it's kind of all bets are off with that. Everybody responds differently to to surgery. Their body heals at a different rate. The one thing you can't do is rush it because you rush it even if you feel good. Uh, and your your Achilles f- feels like it's working. If you're not 100% timed up, when you're trying to go full effort, other things break. So you're compensating in different ways, and you have to worry about your arm and other stuff. So I know the Braves know what they're doing, but he's got to go along at the right the right pace. That would be the only thing that I would say. You know, following you on Twitter, and you're truly one of the great follows in baseball, at Pitching Ninja, and one of the great names. Uh <laughs> You had Blake Trinan on there against the Padres the other day with his his great sinker, which is just so hard to hit. And last year he struggled so much. And the same thing with Lou Trevino. And a lot of talk was about the ball and how the ball was so slick, how it was like a cue ball. It was smaller. We know it really didn't have very much seams. Where do you think we are with the ball this year? I think they've corrected said this is what I heard at least. Um, and I asked around, I believe that it wasn't intentional and that like what happens is over time, these guys get better and better at making baseballs, but just because it's better in theory, doesn't mean it's a better baseball. So they're getting tighter seams and, and the, and the ball is tighter. The leather fits better. And all of a sudden the ball, it's slick. You can't, you can't throw it as well. And it travels differently. So um, I think they fixed it. It looks like, I mean, from the pitching results, it certainly looks like it. Uh, nobody seems to be having all that much of a problem. And and, and uh, I'll, Trinan looks fantastic. I mean, his, his, his ball's moving like it was as opposed to last year where he's struggling. But it could be mechanics too. I, I just, I know he worked on a few things. So with Jake Dietman, I know you helped him. How do you think it's working? Oh my God. I mean, that dude, he was nasty anyway because he's throwing – I mean, he's hes an extreme guy. His, his arm angle is extreme. And then adding horizontal movement 
to his slider makes it it's it's unfair i mean i don't it, 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 it's it's a guess whether you can hit him at this point so that was like like he figured it out i mean it wasn't like i didn't go to him and say hey hey jake i got something for you you might want to add this he knew it he took charge of his career and said what do you got on this and that fixed it so kudos to him i love seeing pitchers take charge of stuff and that's why i like helping them i mean if anybody wants help I love being there for him because that's, I mean, what else am I going to do with my day? Right. <laughs> you got a little time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I just work and do gifts and stuff. I mean, might as well help somebody. So you got Dustin May on there, ginger guard throwing a 93 mile an hour cutter and then a 99 mile an hour fastball. And you show the ball coming out of his hands. And then you see where the two different pitches go. I love that kind of technology, especially when a guy has like four pitches, it really goes to show how hard it is to hit a baseball with all the crazy stuff that these guys have in their arsenal. Yeah. Great point. So I started out, I mean, the reason why I do it is to show pitchers kind of, and show fans why it's, you know, how pitchers are trying to attack hitters, but you're right. I mean, I think it gives a different understanding. So instead of, instead of fans sitting there going, why did he swing at that? He sucks. Yeah. I wouldn't like now they say, Oh, well maybe he doesn't suck. Maybe that was just ridiculously well tunneled and you couldn't tell the difference. Um, but it also helps pitchers. Like I know Lozardo is, is looking at adding a hard slider to his arsenal. You can see which way the ball's breaking and say, you know, I need something that moves a little bit down or a little bit, a little bit more horizontal. So it lets you picture it. Cause a lot of guys are visual so, yes, it shows how hard hitting is, but I think it also shows pitchers what they can add and how they can attack folks and maybe helps, hopefully helps fans uh, understand the game a little bit more. When you're working with a guy on his pitches, what I, 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 everybody's a little bit different, but, but what is the key thing to get somebody to buy in to go, listen, this is going to work for you? You know, everybody's different. So it's like anything. It's like managing people or, or, or talking to your friend and trying to get them to change a habit. It just depends on the player. A lot of times it's just saying, hey, look, this guy does this and you want to be like him. You, you look at him as a role model or you look at this guy and say, rest of my pitches play this way. But this guy's throwing a curveball, and I really need a curveball. So some of it's visual, but then other guys look want to look at numbers. They want to see their rep Soto stuff or TrackMan results, and they say, "Oh, I get it. If I have a pitch that's three miles an hour slower and that has this much horizontal movement, this will fit in numerically with what I want." Most pitchers aren't like that. Most pitchers just throw the ball, and they like to see things. So a lot of guys are visual, but it just depends. Like it depends on what the what they respond to. Others just they want it to be their idea. So some guys, you have to say, you know, what do you think? And then you bring it out of them. Have you ever worked with a guy and you're watching him, you're going, we need to change this, son, or you're going to hurt yourself? Occasionally. Very seldom do I like to say uh, back that, oh, if you do this, you're going to get hurt. And I think it kind of ended up being a little bit junky sciency. Uh, that being said, there are some things. I mean, you can see somebody kind of overthrowing or, or, or not. It's mostly just not being within themselves and being balanced and, 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 and figuring out how to move correctly. Uh, but it's hard, like, because everybody's different. I mean, can you look, watch an NBA game and say, this is why that guy tore his ACL? Um, you know, is a UCL that much different? Yeah. I mean, muscle supported. There's so many different things structurally. 
let's end on this. And I do think it's good for the game is outside coaches, because that was something that never happened. You basically, whatever the organization told you to do and whatever the organization said in the off season, this is what you need to work on. You did that. But now there's, there's outside people like yourself and there's hitting coaches and there's mental coaches. How good for the game do you think it is for these players to be able to get a different opinion? I think it's great. And I hope that coaches understand that. So there, there used to be a not invented here attitude among coaches. The coach was God and the player had to listen. And now with so much information out there, the players are second, for lack of a better word, second guessing their coaches, or at least thinking for themselves, because in the end, you don't know if you're going to play for the A's next year, they could trade you. They can do anything you want. All you are is you have to take charge of your career. You're your own business. You're your own person. So I think it's showing just that players should take charge of their own career, learn as much information as they can, take advantage of everything out there, and uh, and develop their game as they want to. So I think it's great, um, and I think most coaches are understanding that too because you know they could be at another place next year. They don't, you know, they want to make sure that their team's successful, um, and they learn. So sometimes you know I may be good at something, not good at other things. And as, as a coach, you should be able to take in information from other sources too and, and be better. Everybody should be growing instead of just saying, I know everything. It is always great to have you on the program, and, and, and I love your Twitter account. It is so entertaining, and, and keep helping our pitchers get better. I love it. We appreciate it, and we will uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Always love having him on. Well, our next three guests all work for opposing teams who the A's have played. Drew Goodman, who does play-by-play for Rockies Television. We always like having him on, and the Rockies came to town and took two from the A's. And ever since then, they've just kept winning. And the Rockies are a really good team. They might just be a force in this shortened season. Here is Drew Goodman. Drew, welcome back to A's Cast Live. And tonight, uh, always an interesting meeting. Uh, there's some great storylines for, for this series as a good start for the Rockies, a really good start for the Oakland Athletics. As we all know, it's not a marathon, it's a sprint. Yeah, the, there's a you know, heavy focus now on everything, uh, you know, given the obvious. You're playing 60 as opposed to 162. Uh, the A's are off to a good start, which... You know, they've always uh, had to kind of overcome slow starts in, in recent uh, history. But, you know, you guys know your club well. It's a very formidable club. And the Rockies pitched very well over the weekend. So I think it'll be a nice uh, a nice early season test uh, for both clubs. And, and we talked to Matt Chapman earlier today, and he admitted to us that, yeah, it feels different. It's like, yeah, we're in a pennant race. It's not like, you know, late March, early April. So we talk about it as broadcasters, but for sure the players are feeling the urgency. Yeah, they, they have to. I mean, it's so common. We, we've all heard this in, in talking to managers, whether it's a Buddy Black or Bob Melvin or, or any of the other 28 managers in baseball. When there's a player that's in a slump or a pitcher that's, you know, gone through a couple of rough outings, and it's, you know, late April, early May, they, they, they always say, hey, easy, it's a long season, you know, we're going to let him, you know, work his way through it. You don't have the luxury this year of that. The managers know that. Certainly the front offices realize that. And the players, to your point, uh, recognize that uh, you can't have a, a, a prolonged slump. You cannot, uh, you know, take a, a game for granted. You have to find a way to get up for each and every one of them because, 
you know, a two or three game losing streak is magnified in this short season. You know, one of the early great stories of this season is what happened with you guys on Saturday and Daniel Bard, a, a guy that, you know, the Steve Blast, you know, just couldn't find the plate, throws hard, was dangerous on the mound, let go by multiple organizations, had, hasn't been the big leagues in seven years, and earns a win on Saturday. Just how special was that? Well, it, 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 was, it was marvelous to watch. It was a neat story going back to late February and early March that he was in camp and he was seemingly uh, throwing the baseball well there after a long absence. And then for him to not only continue that trend in the brief summer camp, but to go out in his first appearance in in seven years, more than seven years, and to throw the baseball the way he did, uh, it's it's a tremendous story. It's a tremendous testament to um, not only his perseverance, because I think sometimes guys can overcome physical ailments, and and sometimes it takes quite a while. you know, reading about the Alex Smith situation with the, with the Washington uh, football team now, they've changed their name, right, or in limbo. But, you know, he went through 17 surgeries. He's been cleared to play again. We've seen that before, maybe not to that extreme with Smith. But to overcome the yips, it almost never happens. And not only that, it's not, oh, this is a nice story. He's going to work in, in middle relief and mop-up duty. He is being entrusted to... Uh, work high leverage innings on the plus side, seventh, eighth. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time uh, you'll see him in the ninth inning if if necessary. His stuff is electric. He was up to 99 the other day. He threw 25 pitches. 20 were uh, were strikes. Um, He had an electric slider as well. So it's a great story, and and it's not uh, gratuitous. I mean, he, he is legitimately... Uh, a back-end guy again. You know, I was watching this video of when he was struggling, and as hard as he throws, it was dangerous. Hitting multiple guys and going up and in, and, I mean, he didn't know where it was going. What happened in all these years that really turned it around for him? Well, one of the things, when he finally shut it down, um, he eventually, I'm not going to give you the whole, you know, the whole story. You certainly can read about it. Uh, but he, he became the mental skills coach, interestingly enough, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, you know, just conversing with guys, he, he'd play catch. And, and some of the guys would say, you know, the ball's really coming out of your hand really well. And he had, he had basically taken the, 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 in reading what I, what I have about his, his process, he just he, he took all the negative and eliminated it, and and just focused on on being positive, taking putting less pressure on uh, on outcome, and whatever it did, it, it it calmed his mind, and he was able to implement. And I know sometimes it seems easier said than done, and for for guys that have gone through that uh, ailment of not being able to throw the ball. Uh, as they've done their whole life, most guys can't overcome it, but he, he has. And, um, you know, again, it's a, it's a tremendous story. What we have going at third base in this series is truly amazing. We're just not talking gold gloves. We're talking multiple platinum gloves for both of these guys. They were high school teammates. Nolan Arenado was a senior playing shortstop. Matt Chapman was a sophomore, kind of moving all around the diamond, happy to be on varsity. 
their families know each other, their siblings know each other from El Toro High School. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun looking at two of the best defensive third basemen really to have ever lived. Um, yeah, I don't think that's an embellishment to say to make that statement. And that, too, is a nice uh, sidebar story. I, I think clearly, and, and this is not to disparage at all, uh, uh, what Matt Chapman's done, because Matt Chapman is a tremendous player. You know, Nolan's done it a few years longer. I, as I like to say on the air, Nolan's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I mean, if he does, you know, literally probably three or four year, more years of what he's done, uh, you, you can probably write his ticket or stamp his ticket to the Hall of Fame. And Matt Chapman has obviously clearly similar ability. Uh, he hits the ball over the wall. He's, he's an absolute uh, amazing defensive player as, as is Nolan so yeah it's, it's going to be neat and knowing Nolan and I don't you guys know Chapman well I've, I've chatted with him just once or twice but um, they're, they're always ready to play that's how their that's how their makeup is uh, but there's going to be a little extra juice for them because heck you know they did grow up uh, around each other they were high school teammates and, and I'm sure Nolan still wants to you know show that that you know he's the man if you will uh, but uh, yeah, that's a great sidebar story as well. This offseason, I was so surprised, and I know we've talked to you about this before in the offseason, but I just want to know how is the relationship? Because when Arenado signs that contract, your face of the franchise, as you said, could be in the Hall of Fame someday. Then you retire his number, you put a statue outside of Coors Field. And then they weren't getting along. How is the relationship between the star player and the franchise right now? Well, I, I think so much has been obscured by, you know, this worldwide pandemic that we're all trying to navigate, specifically right now baseball is trying to navigate. Um, so when they reconvened, there wasn't much spoken about it. I, I believe this, and I said this, uh, you know, back in, in February and March, it, that winning cures everything. We've all been around sports long enough. Um, you know, sometimes there are rifts. Sometimes, uh, you know, there there are situations where, where guys, um, you know, have a, a situation. And when you win, everything kind of gets swept under the rug. You're talking about highly competitive people. Uh, naturally, we know the players who play are highly competitive. But guess what? The guys in the front office are highly competitive uh, as well. And, and I do think that, uh, you know, if the Rockies have the kind of season that they believe they can have, uh, that will be, you know, become a secondary type of uh, uh, situation in that it, it won't be spoken about uh, as much. And I think time also heals, uh, you know, heals things also. You know, in a 162-game season, I would not give the Rockies and I would not give the Padres and I would not give the Diamondbacks a shot at chasing down the Dodgers. But in 60 games where your warts won't be as, as exposed as much, you got to have the feeling. I mean, and, and now 16 teams, you're going to have eight going in for the National League. The Rockies have to have, believe they have a shot, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and the Rockies had this, focus again going back to the original spring training that you know number one uh, and i think you guys feel this also being a being out in oakland you you've typically been overshadowed by the giants and with with the rockies 
you know, you're overshadowed by the Dodgers in the division. You're overshadowed by the major market teams and, and people that one of the, one of the narratives going back to your question about Nolan and, you know, his, his off season and is he on the trading block? Uh, he has a rift with, you know, the general manager. Um, I look at it as this. People are saying, well, he wants to win. And I'm like, time out a second. In 17, the Rockies were a playoff team. In 18, they tied the Dodgers after 162 games for the division title. The Dodgers end up winning it in that one-game playoff. And then 19 was a bad year. All teams have bad years, typically, right? I mean, you have a couple, and then all of a sudden there's some injuries, and players don't play up to their normal standards. Next thing you know, you have a poor season. So two of the last three years in a, for a quote-unquote mid-market franchise, they're in the postseason. And, um, you know, I, I come back to that and I say this team believes and it was palpable going back to February and March that they're a postseason team and they're and they're highly motivated uh, to show the baseball world that they're really good again. And that last year was an aberration. You know, we go through the the, the exact same thing. You know, Billy Bean is technically the longest tenured executive as he was hired in 97. And then as the calendar turned right after that, Brian Cashman uh, was hired in 98. And other than a one game, they were behind one game. Basically Billy Bean would send the A's of the playoffs almost 11 out of 20 years. And people act like we have long, we don't have long stretches of losing streaks around here. Hasn't been like that in over 20 years. No, it's it again. You battle the same thing we do. It's perception versus reality. Um, it's it, it almost seems sometimes with uh, you know colleagues of ours that um, from a national perspective that twenty five franchises exist to be AAA affiliates and, and uh, for the you know the four or five major. Uh, city clubs, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, we know who, you know, we don't have to identify them. And, uh, and, and sometimes when you do have some consistency in winning as Oakland has the, the Rockies until last year, the last couple of years prior to that, it, it just kind of gets swept under the rug. And, and I know it's frustrating for those clubs and for people like, you know, you and me who follow the club on a, on a daily basis, you say, well, hold on a second, you know, don't misidentify, you know, who they are and what they're about and what their accomplishments are. Um, so, you know, we, you know, that, that is, it, listen, it's not going to change. It's the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs are always going to get the, uh, the lion's share of the attention. Well, I know, you know, Rocky's bringing some very talented guys, Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, so uh, Nolan Arenado. So I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's end on this. Just how great is it to deal with Bud Black on an everyday basis? Um, Buddy, Buddy is such a wonderful uh, person, and he's a, he's a really bright guy, and he is a charismatic guy, and he is a very humorous and witty guy. I one of the disappointing things among a whole long list for everybody out there, whether you work in baseball or not, um, for us as broadcasters, you know, the daily interactions with your manager, the daily interactions with players as you kind of do your homework on both sides. You know, if if, if this were normal uh, right now, uh, you know, I'd be on the field and getting ready to, to watch batting practice and BS with, with uh, you know, some of your guys and some of our guys and visit with Bob Melvin and, and have your daily thing w- with Buddy. 
And there are so many times I, I try to, I'm not saying this, uh, you know, because it's the right thing to say, but there's so many times, and I've been fortunate to do this for, for a good period of time, that I pinch myself and say, I, I love what I do, man. I love the game of baseball, and I, and I love, you know, being among the best uh, to do it in the game. And Buddy Black personifies that in, in every way. He's, uh, he's just a joy to be around. He's a heck of a manager on top of it. So uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that out. And I miss, I miss being able to, to literally talk to him every day. I know we have these Zoom calls. When I, hey, when I can figure out how to get on the Zoom call, then I see Buddy a little bit. <laughs> We've actually been saying – I've enjoyed it for post game because usually post game you have a hard time hearing reporters and you just hear the answers of the players. But with the Zoom, you get every question very clear. So I've actually enjoyed that. And by the way, I've told you this before. I really enjoy your guys' broadcast as I'm going around on MLB.com and watching games that are still on. That you guys do a, a really nice job. And and let's and let's face it, if no one's ever been there. Coors Field is a gem. It's one of the most beautiful parks I've ever been there. So if the fact is you just got to go to Coors and work every day, that's not bad, too. No, we, we're really fortunate. They, they built, as you said, a gem of a ballpark. We're fortunate in that we live in one of the most beautiful places on Earth. And our weather is uh, – people don't know this, and I, I'm always hesitant to, to let people in other parts of the country know. Um, I never look at the weather. It's sunny every day. Uh, in, in Colorado, we have over 300 days of sunshine a year, and you know you have the mountains in the background, and they've done the upkeep on that stadium. I mean, you could you know you could eat dinner off the floor that of the concourse, and, and believe it or not, now it's the third oldest stadium in the National League to uh, to Dodger Stadium, of course, Wrigley. Wow, that's crazy. Never thought about that, but uh, yeah, yeah it, isn't, that, uh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, nobody nobody would nobody would you know generally realize that, but uh, it is. And I always recommend with these new ball, well, I, I guess it's not a new ballpark anymore, but with the with the great ballparks is take the tour as a fan. They'll show you the press box. They'll show you the clubhouses. They'll take you on the field. And I know there's like that city ordinance there where there's got to be X amount of art at the stadium. So there's a ton of art all around the stadium. The tour is fantastic. I've never actually taken the tour, so I guess I need to do that also, though I, I feel like I know it fairly well. Though the interesting thing is, you know, they built, and I don't know if you were there and you were able to go up, you know, to the, what is now the, you know, the upper deck where, where they reconfigured it in right field, which I, I'd say it's like the biggest, uh, you know, single scene, especially on the weekend, anywhere in Denver, um, the, you know, the, the party deck up, it's not, the, it's not literally the party deck, but um I've only been up there, I think, one time. We were going to do a broadcast up there, and they had a shower go through, so they ran us back down to the uh, to the booth to finish the game. Uh, but there, there's a, it's, it's a great ballpark, and the fans pour out. Last year, we were sixth in Major League Baseball in attendance. The year before, we drew – we were just shy of $3 million last year. We were over $3 million the year before. So it's a great fan base, and, um, yeah, if you're, if you're listening in right now and it wants – we get back to normal. You're thinking about making a road trip. You got to cross. Uh, you got to cross Coors Field off, definitely. You had me at party deck. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's a fun place up there. Hey, Allegedly, always... I mean, I, I wouldn't know. I'm always, I'm always <laughs> looking over there fondly. Guys, guys and gals are leaning, uh, leaning over the railing, about eight people deep, with uh, with a 
cold beverage in their hand, taken in the ballpark and, and other sites, shall we say. Well, enjoy the series. It's going to be a good one. Always great to chat with you. We'll be watching you on MLB.com. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. You, you got it. Anytime, man. Good luck to you guys. And now we'll take a look at the Texas Rangers with former player David Murphy. You remember him, Ace fans. He was tough with the Texas Rangers. Played in back-to-back World Series with him. He's now doing TV for the Rangers. Here's the former outfielder to talk about Texas, David Murphy. David, it's great catching up with you. It's been a while since we saw you with the Texas Rangers. How is life treating you? Life is good. Just, uh, you know, my, I'm enjoying being up at the ballpark from time to time, doing doing broadcasting work and, and staying affiliated with the team. But uh, more than anything, just uh, the, the freedom and the flexibility, which my career didn't allow me to be at home and, and spend a lot more time with my family and my kids. Well, Ace fans remember you as you wore us out for so many years. Uh, how has that tr- transition been coming to the dark side and being a media guy now? You know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, baseball is, is such a love of mine that, you know, to, to still be able to have, like I said, any type of affiliation with Major League Baseball um, and, and being able to go to the ballpark as much as I do, it's just it's kind of a happy place for me. So I really enjoy it. Um, and, and like I said, the flexibility that it allows, which, uh, where I don't really travel very much like I did as a player and, uh, I can, I can still be home a lot. And, um, uh, I just, I don't know, like I said, I, I'm as much of, as a player, um, I was still a big time fan. So I feel like this allows me to, to really still be a, a fan of the game and participate in it without having to, to work the really long hours. You know, I really feel bad for a couple of organizations and two off the top of my head are the Texas Rangers and now the Las Vegas Raiders as, you know, these beautiful new stadiums and ballparks have been built and no fans can go in them. It's really, really sad. Uh, You've been able to go to the new ballpark. What, What does it look like there in Arlington? You know, the, the new ballpark is awesome. I think, you know, thinking sentimentally, I'm a, I'm, I was definitely disappointed when I heard the news for the first time that, uh, you know, the park where I spent my career would no longer be the home of the Texas Rangers. But obviously it's 2020. You know, that modern technology is incredible. And um, we knew that we would get a, a great ballpark and, and what fans have longed for um for a long time here in Texas and that's air conditioning and, and baseball and in, in an air conditioned environment. So, uh, you know, I feel like that was a little bit of a home field advantage for the Rangers because especially would hate pitching to the good offenses that we ran out there for so long. But, um, you know, the fans are such a big part of the game, especially as we're learning now through COVID um, and I'm happy that they have a place to, to comfortably watch the game. When you walk in a little bit, it does remind you a little bit of Houston. Um, you know, when I look at the right field stands, it reminds me a little bit of Seattle. But um, I feel like they're, you know, it's hard to, to get really a feel of the stadium with no fans in the seats. So I think I'm going to have a completely different take on it once uh, there's 40,000 people in there. Well, the great thing for the Texas Rangers, and you can say the same thing for the Astros, is that you know you're going to get 81 games in now. I mean, that is such a key for the season ticket holders because of the weather. And I was with the A's last year in Texas, and and I got to tell you, Texas Live, 
I mean, we went, we had a double header. We went over there, had the barbecue, had some drinks. Uh, Jerry's World, the Cowboys are, are just down the street. I, I think that complex in, in Arlington is just incredible. Yeah, 100%. If you look at the football stadium, I don't know what's going to happen to the old baseball field with the XFL uh, folding already. Um, and we'll see if we get some concerts or maybe some exhibition soccer games or something like that in there. But uh, the old ballpark, the new ballpark, and then, you know, you have Six Flags and the water park right there. It's really uh, uh, in Texas Live. Um, it's just a really cool uh, sports, entertainment, restaurant, shopping district. I mean, it's got everything that you would want. So, you know, if fans are coming in, especially fans from out of town, um, you know, to see something different and uh, to have a lot of cool experiences in a, in a few days, um, it, it really allows you to check off a lot of boxes. You know, going tonight for the Rangers, Lance Lynn has been really good the start of 2020, and he's going for his 100th career win. Just talk about how he has just been lights out to start the season. Well, toward the tail end of my career, I remember facing him, and I remember that he had a little bit of a crossfire, that uh, he's got the four-seam fastball that really it really jumps on you. You know, I don't remember the velocity being – you know, 96, 97, what it has been in the last year and a half. Uh, but once he got on the, the right side of, of Tommy John after that surgery, um, the velocity has really been there. And so if the, the fastball was good at 92, 93, and, uh, you know, the velocity played up a little bit, I feel like uh, at 96, 97, it kind of goes to show you why he's having the type of success that he does. He's got a great mindset. Um, you know, it, it's the word that's been used so frequently, whether it's him or a bunch of pitchers that go right after hitters, but uh, bulldog mentality. And um, he definitely fits that description. And it's, it's really fun to watch him pitch. He loves taking the ball. He's intense out there. and He's exactly what you would want in a starter at the top of your rotation. I thought it was a good sign um, when the Rangers signed him last year, and it's been even better than they could have expected. You know, I think about when you first came up. You came up with the Red Sox, right? Yes, I did. You think about what velocity was then and what velocity is now in 2020. Just just watching it now as you sit back and watch a lot of baseball, just how different is the velocity on a day-to-day basis from when you first came up? Well, I remember the transition. So in 2014, um, that was my first year after I left Texas and I was with Cleveland. And everybody always knew of Carlos Carrasco as this big-time prospect who just couldn't make it as a starter. They threw him out there every year, but he got hit hard. And so um, they moved him to the bullpen. I think he was out of options, so they, you know, they couldn't send him down to the minor leagues, uh, but they still thought there was something left in there. And so he was our long man or our guy that, you know, if we needed a start out of him, uh, we could get a start out of him. So they moved him to the bullpen, and slowly, he, you know, he – he started becoming the pitcher that he has been the last few years and that he is today by being that long man out of the bullpen throwing 97 miles an hour. And usually when you get to that long man, you're expecting the guy early in my career was the guy that was throwing 90 to 92 miles an hour that you could get him in the game early and you could really beat up on him. And, uh, and you know, <laughs> you would be up 10 runs or something like that in a hurry. But now it doesn't matter who comes out of a bullpen. They're going to have nasty stuff. Everybody's throwing, you know, in the upper 90s with cutters in the upper 80s or, or lower 90s. So it's just a different game, and you have to be ready for that high velocity. 
you know, I'm looking at my notes getting ready for the game, and it just it kind of shocked me. I mean, I'm not shocked that Joey Gallo has three home runs. I'm not shocked that he has eight RBIs. I, what I'm shocked as I look, he's hitting 310. Joey Gallo's hitting 310, really? I think we're seeing, um, you know, what Joey's shown over the last year. You know, it was disappointing that that he got hurt and he missed so much of 2019 because uh, he really started making his mark early in 2019. He made the all-star team. He saw one pitch in the all-star game off of a lefty and hit it out of the ballpark um, in his lone all-star at bat. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's a shock on, on one hand and, and it is an early sample size and, and you, do, you don't necessarily expect Joey Gallo to be a guy that's going to hit for a high average. But at the same time, I wouldn't put it past him. He's a hard worker. He's a good athlete, and good athletes seem to be the ones who make the best adjustments. And uh, we always known, we've, we've always known that the power is going to be there and that at the same time, the strikeouts are going to be there. But I think the thing that whether, you know, regardless of where his average is, you know, I've always thought he's going to take the next step. One, when those home runs can start being two and three run home runs and he can hit them in more clutch situations which he has, and also when he can hit the singles and doubles with runners in scoring position, he can start driving in more runs and be closer to a 100-RBI guy and not a guy that's going to hit 30 or 40 home runs with, you know, 65 to 75 RBIs because he, he strikes out in so many other big situations. So I think, um, I, I think we're really starting to see him take the next step. You know, your time in Texas, it was so interesting to watch – the transition of going to the World Series a couple times, and then all of a sudden here comes this A's team out of nowhere. What was it like back in your day doing battles with the Oakland A's? Man, you're uh, you're bringing back some some heartbreaking memories there because obviously we had a great ten and a great eleven, and I just remember down the stretch in in 2012 because we were pretty much in the driver's seat all year long, and honestly, that 2012 team could have been better than the 2010 and the 2011 team but unfortunately the A's were just so good and they were able to catch fire late in the season everybody remembers um you know the the series in Oakland to end 2012 and just uh how that crushed us and and we just had you know if if there's ever a question of whether or not there's baseball uh there's excuse me there's momentum in the game of baseball um, that was a perfect example of it because they were trending in the right direction and we were not, and they were able to take it from us. And I'm surprised they didn't go deeper into the postseason, you know, in, in any of those years, but they did it again to us in 2013. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's impressive how the A's just seem to get the absolute most out of the talent they have and always a lower payroll than other teams. But uh, Billy Bean knows what he's doing. You know, I always say about the ending of 2012, it taught us every game matters. Because we get so many people, David, in our game who go, ah, it's just late March or early April. It's a long season. It's a marathon. I always take people back. If the Rangers would have won just one more game anytime during the season, that final would have never been, the ending would have been completely different. The A's would have been the wild card team. Yeah, and it just goes to show you how, you know, in the course of 162 games, you think, ah, eh, you know, this game doesn't matter or that game doesn't matter. But then when it comes down to that at the end of the season, then it then it really hurts. And it's just funny how 
you know, I remember at the beginning of that season, we played a game, I think in early May, and I didn't think very much of Josh Donaldson at the time. And, you know, I saw the big signing of Yoenna Cespedes and, you know, I didn't really, I, I didn't know if he was going to be able to hit in the major leagues. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to be able to hit the fastball in. And then by the end of the season, when those two guys stepped to the plate, I, I was, you know, I knew that they were a dangerous presence in the box. And then, uh, uh, probably one of my best friends, if not my best friend in baseball, Brandon Moss caught on with, with the A's that year and just had some big hits down the stretch for the A's. So he and I, and we ended up playing together in, in Cleveland again after coming up together in Boston uh, in the minor leagues. And uh, he and I have had several conversations about just those games and those teams and um, how intense that rivalry became through those years. Let's end on this, because obviously you know all about the grind. You've played in two World Series. And before this season, I thought it was just wrong where we had, like, national writers going, there could be an asterisk for this season. And now that we've gotten this season going, I think people now really realize how hard it's going to be. You're trying to play through a pandemic. Uh, you're going on the road when you really don't want to go on the road. Now there's going to be 16 teams they're going to be in the postseason. I really believe this is going to be one of the toughest championships to ever win. It really will be. And uh, I think going in and after we're, we've been here a few weeks and just seeing some of these teams shut down, seeing guys that are just opting out uh, as, you know, we just talked about Cespedes, a guy like that, seeing a guy like Lorenzo Cain opt out. Um, it's going to be a different year than, than we've ever seen in baseball. Uh, it's, it's going to be a grind. I don't think it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch a sprint of the last two months, uh, basically, of the season, which this is going to be rather than the normal marathon. But, um, no, I, I don't think there's going to be an asterisk. It's, it's definitely going to be different. But, um, you know, I think kind of my attitude he heading into this season was whatever amount of baseball that we can get this season, hopefully we get a full two months and then a full postseason. But, whatever amount of baseball we get, we should be thankful for because as baseball fans, it just, it was hard to go through those early months when we're so used to, um, you know, seeing baseball in the spring and we weren't able to. So um, I, along with, I'm sure so many baseball fans out there, are just happy to, to have them back on the field. No doubt about it. We always appreciate the time. Loved watching as a player. Congratulations on the transition into the media. Be safe and we'll talk to you soon. All right, same to you. Thanks for the time. And now we'll take a look at the Seattle Mariners as the A's went up there and took three of four. And former pitcher Ryan Roland-Smith, who's now doing TV, he's from Australia. He knows Grant Balfour. He's good friends with Liam Hendricks, and he's now a good friend of our program. Let's talk a little baseball with Ryan. Ryan, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, guys. How you doing? We are doing well. How are you guys doing in the Pacific Northwest? We're doing okay. We're hanging in there. <laughs> I know. It's great. You know, it, it, it it's so crazy. You know, we just had the Rockies in town. And I was telling our audience, you know, these guys go down to Texas. They come here to the Bay Area. Both Texas and California are hot spots. And when you finish right. your road trip to start the season out four and one, I got to tell you, that was really impressive to watch. Anybody that's going on the road right now and winning, it, that's impressive. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot more, so many more challenges for for these players being on the road, and I feel like it's inevitable. Though, I mean, at some point you're going to run into, like you said, a hot spot or some situation because, yeah, you know, Major League Baseball. Yes, they're trying to be careful, but there's really no regulations. Guys 
in and out of the hotel. I know, you know some of the Mariners players were like, should we leave the hotel? Is it safe? Everyone's kind of on the fence as to what is good and what's bad. And I think, too, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, the Marlins and what's happened with the Phillies, um, you know, for the team covering every other team, hopefully this is a wake-up call and the manager brings him in, has that team meeting, says, guys, just don't leave the hotel. Just stay put, mark on, and let's try and keep everyone healthy so we can try and sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, when, when, when it first came out about the Marlins, I, I mean, I had to put my thinking cap on because the media doesn't do it anymore, and they don't really ask the right <laughs> questions, and they were like, oh, my God, everybody in baseball. I was like, oh, wait a minute. How, how do they get mm-hmm. it in the other 2019? Well, obviously, they broke protocol. They go down to yep. the hotel bar, which you're not supposed to. I mean, if these guys realize for two – we're just asking you to do the right thing for two months. That's all we're asking. Right. Right, and and you look at it this way too. It's it's one of these things that it's it's going to affect your career one way or the other. It's it's you know look, and I'm not I'm not you know pointing fingers at the Marlins young roster or anything like that whatsoever. But you're right. How does one team come out with this many cases? I'm guessing too. I, I haven't looked you know deeper into this. Apparently, they're playing with guys they knew that were infected, which is like, come on, really? Yeah. So I think it, it goes. It, it comes down to it's it's not. Oh, the players are victims here. It's, you know what? You stay in the hotel for a couple months. It's going to affect your career if you don't. And, and from an organizational standpoint, when you look at this, but you look at these different rosters that are built, we just played the Angels, who just went out and just spent a boatload of money to, you know, to, for, to get Anthony Rendon. They've got no pitching. But they look at this. If they lose two of those guys in that lineup, they are screwed. It affects them long term as well, where they are as a, and people's jobs on the line. It's just a crazy time. Well, and you think about last year, you know, we, we took on the, you know, we took on the Mariners in Japan and then we come back and the Mariners got out to a hot start. Now, obviously by the end of the year, it was a different deal, but it's like, I mean, tell me as a player, uh, you get out to a a hot start, no matter what the roster looks like, you got to feel confident. You do. And and it's crazy. I mean, you, you got 10 straight here or you go, you know, eight and two in a period of time, let's say in two weeks, the Seattle Mariners, who were not picked to do anything this year, they're in, you know, quote-unquote rebuild, reset, whatever, however they want to label it, year. And they go out and, and you know, two weeks from now, go ahead and go eight to two. Man, they're staring down the barrel of one of these extra, extra playoff spots. And the other part of this is, too, you can, on the flip side of that, you know, you have a team that goes to some hot spot at the right time of the year or the wrong time of the year, and all of a sudden, boom. There you are. But from a player's point of view, it's crazy. The 60-game season, I'm still fascinated by some of these guys' pitching performance. I, you know, I was a pitcher. And if I had three weeks of summer camp just doing inner squads, trust me, my first couple of outings would be rough. I'd be throwing about 82 miles an hour and just hanging curveballs left, right, and center. I'd be getting crushed. So it's pretty impressive. Some of these dudes who are ready to go, like Marco Gonzalez, he looked okay first time out. Second time out, he looked, he looked great with the Mariners last night. So I'm going to tip my hat to him. It's a crazy situation. They were hanging out at home in isolation, and then Bruno said, strap it on, you've got three weeks, uh, and then here they are, 60-game season. Anything can happen. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's a, it's a crazy time of year. You know, we're now starting to see starting pitchers go the second time around. We got to see the first starts. Mm-hmm. Now it's the same. Like, when do you think starting pitchers are going to be able to be like, okay, six, seven innings, I'm good to go? I think I, I usually, you know, coming out of spring training, I'd usually, you know, the first one, a bit of a mulligan, I think, for, for a lot of guys. 
not everyone, but a lot of guys, you know, if you're, if you're a guy who you know, relies on feel, like, you know, like Michael Gonzalez, for, I used him as an example, he pitched last night. Well, then I'm going to give him a couple. Uh, some of these other guys, everyone apparently throws 97, 98 these days. But I think, you know, usually, uh, usually it's that second, third time, you should be able to get in some kind of rhythm. But the, the crazy thing about this is coming off a three-week summer camp, I'm, I'm going to give it a couple more before guys lock in. But the problem is with that, I mean, guys are going to get, what, nine starts, 10 starts, maybe. So you're looking at halfway through the year where you're going to start settling in. And it's one of these things that can play on your mind too. I know this. It would start to warm up. I'd be midway through the year. I'd start looking up at that ERA. And then you start pressing a little bit. So if you're only two, three starts into this, and you start glancing up and you still see a six up on the board, that can mess with your head because you're like, man, I've only got a month here to figure this out and prove myself if I'm a young pitcher to going into next year. So that can play on your mind as well. And that can be a factor with some of these, some of these pitchers you know, knowing that they've only got two months to really try and settle in and put up some good numbers. How about the hitters? I mean, there's guys right now, we got one of them in Chris Davis, who's 0 for 15. Can you imagine? Right. You you don't have a hit no. yet? You're a week in? Right. And and that's, you know, we had you know, Daniel Vogel back. He was an all-star last year who had, got off to such a hot start in April last year, and then the league kind of figured him out, and then he started to simmer down. Again, it's one of these things that you just hit into a bone net for two straight months. You know, not quite, you don't really have a date as to when this is going to kick off. And then you start turning on the TV, flicking on Twitter, and you see the, the players' union and the owners going back and forth. Like, okay, we're close, we're close. And then all of a sudden you find out, now you've got three weeks in, in a squad. So from the hitter standpoint, man, it's going to be tough facing live pitching guys you don't know, not your teammates, guys from, you know, everyone throws 95 plus, like I said. And now you got to, you know, you got to get off the couch. You've been sitting on for three months, or hitting into that bucket you bought from Amazon. You got three weeks into summer camp, and now you got to perform. And again, same thing. You're going to start pressing a little bit. And, and as you said, you know, these guys are throwing 97, 98. Got even certain guys are throwing over a hundred. And now with starting starting pitchers only going like three, four innings, now you got to face yeah. every single time up. You're facing a different pitcher. I mean, that's, exactly. that's got to be unbelievable. Yeah. And, and again, and you're going to get, you know, matched up a lot more. You know, if you're left-handed here, you're going to face more lefties, more at-bats facing uh, lefties because those starters just aren't going as long. And there's, a, you know, there's, uh, you know, two to three lefties that they can throw at you because you've got that extended uh, roster as well. Uh, let's end on this. Uh, Liam Hendricks, also a fellow Australian. How much do you follow, uh, if there's an Australian in the league, how much do you follow that guy? Well, first of all, Liam and I, uh, we're, we're pretty close. We're good friends. And one of your ex-players, uh, Grant Balfour. Grant Balfour was a groomsman at my wedding. So we're, we're a tight <laughs> little community. If you, <laughs> and I've had both these guys. I've got a podcast. I've had both of them on, and it's been a blast. I feel like I'm you know, sitting at the pub drinking a beer when I, when I spoke to both of them. Uh, but Liam, I'm so I'm, I'm proud of him, man. What he's done coming from Minnesota, proving himself, getting a chance. Bob Melvin giving him a chance to close, and he's just tearing it up. So... I keep in constant contact with him. Uh, he's always good with there's, there's Australian kids back home that I, I like to coach. Um, and he'll, he'll be like, hey, man, give, give the kid my number. He can give me a call. I'm like, dude, MLB All-Star, man, chill out. You know what I mean? That's the kind of person he is. So I'm in close contact with him. I follow what he does. He always seems to have that little roller coaster period uh, in his year where he'll give it up for a little bit and then and simmer back down. So I'm excited to watch him and see where this goes the next couple of years in his career. But, uh, yeah, he's a good mate of mine, that's for sure. 
Well, I can tell you, having covered both Liam, Liam's salt of the earth, what he does for people, he does for animals. It's yeah. amazing. And, right. and Grant for it's just, it's, it's, it, it, you guys are so level-headed and good guys that you don't allow the money and the stardom to, 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 to change you guys. That's the one thing I've always noticed about Australian players. Right. Well, well, look, Grant, a lot of people who don't know Grant, and if, if you've had a chance to spend some time with him, he will do anything for you. You just had David Forst on, on, on your show just before me. i never forget, I came to Oakland. I had a bunch of these Australian kids in the middle of the summer a couple of years ago. I have myself and another Australian, Trent Olsen, played in the big leagues. We bring teams over, young kids over. And so we're there, and David Force comes up to me, and we're, we're talking. He goes, now, I feel like I know you. I said, Why is that? He said, because when you got DFA'd from the Houston Astros, Kent Alford was in my office every day saying, sign him, sign him, sign him. That's the kind of person he is. He just, he's, you know, he's very, he's a loyal friend of mine and, and he was pushing so hard. And I remember him telling me, he's like, hey man, I'm going to get you over with the Oakland A's. I said, dude, it's okay. And I'm thinking, okay, how much is he, was he shooting a text message off to someone? But apparently hearing that from David, he was bugging him and banging down his door. And that's just goes to show what kind of person Grant is. Yeah, he was a special guy, and he was a uh, great closer for the A's. Ryan, thank you so much for the time. Have a good broadcast tonight. Be safe, and uh, hopefully we'll get this thing in, and we'll talk to you again. Sounds good. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Well, that'll do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank the Pitching Ninja, Rob Friedman, Drew Goodman from the Rockies, David Murphy from the Rangers, and Ryan Roland-Smith from the Seattle Mariners. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.